0: This is week two uh, in our six-week series titled The Art of Neighboring, and the question we just want to keep asking week after week is how do we build bridges into our community to show and share the love of Jesus? And so the idea kind of centers around two uh, fairly straightforward ideas, one being that if we live a life obstinate of Jesus, refuse to ever repent and follow him, that when we die we will get what is coming to us and we will be forever apart from him in a place called hell the second being that the lord being infinitely good wants to use all of our relationships all of our circumstances to grow our faith to produce a maturity in us and then to take that faith to those far from him to take that faith to those who are far from him and so if he's active in all of our circumstances if he's active in all of our relationships then it costs us to kind of pause and take a more introspective look in our hearts and to look around at our community and say where is he pointing me if he's working in all of my relationships and circumstances where is he pointing me what's what's today gonna what's it in my path today that the Lord has for me and so to help us do that over these six weeks we want to Become more familiar with some needs in our community, more familiar with maybe segments of the population in Douglas County that we might not see every day to better understand the need in the community around us, wondering, God, are you going to point me there? Where are you going to point me? Where are you going to point me? We want to become more familiar. Then we also want to see that really good things are happening. Because if you just read the news, today is bad, yesterday was bad, tomorrow is going to be even worse, that two days from now it's going to be far worse than even what I can imagine tomorrow being. Every day gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And as we pause and as we look at Winchester Elementary last week and as we look at a couple more ministries today, we're going to see that there's really good things happening in our community if we'll pause and take a look. And that's exciting, because those are the things we want to get involved with. We want to see where is God working, and then we want to jump on board that train and go. We also want to look at some passages that might push on our comfort zones a little bit. Because if we're putting our comfort and our security and our agenda over God's purposes, we want to become aware of that and realign as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. So this morning, I'm going to invite some friends to to join me on stage Uh, Where is Sarah and Anna and Kathy? Would you guys come up on stage? So last week we heard from Rick Snyder, principal of Winchester Elementary. Uh, This week we're going to hear from three ladies who are involved caring for women in our community. So if you guys would come up all the way up front. It's really fun up here. You'll like the lights. Sarah, we're going to start with you, right? You can see. Would you hold this? I'm going to turn it on for you funny if I gave it to you and didn't turn it on, but I'm going to turn it on for you. Sarah, would you tell us a little bit um, about the ministry you're involved with, how how you got involved?
1: Um, Let's see. Okay, well, I'll go back. I was raised uh, in a home where my father was drunk every weekend for, every weekend I can remember. He was mean and abusive when he was drunk. So growing up, I really didn't talk to people. I didn't talk to teachers. I didn't talk to family. My, my family looked really good to all the rest of our family. We put that on, but in our home, it was hell. Um, and so it's probably what moved me to become um, an alcohol and drug counselor um, for a career. Um, 25 years ago, when I heard about Safe Haven, I joined the board. We're starting into our 26th year of operation. And um, I look back at my mother, and as a, as a teenager, I can remember laying in bed at night um, thinking of ways that we could like escape, um, run away, do something to get out of the situation, and often wondered why that never happened. Um, as I became an adult, I realized that in, in those years, there were very few options for women in such situations. So when, when I became aware of Safe Haven, that is what really uh, fueled my passion, um, was to be part of a solution. And it's continued for 25 years.
0: Kathy, can you tell us a little bit about um, why that's needed in our community?
2: Oh, sure. Um, as some of you know, I was a single mom for many years uh, before I married my husband, Rod. Um, and I just think there's just not, I was never really taught up how to parent well, and I kind of grew up in the same kind of home as Sarah did, and um, so we don't have the tools, and I think there's a lot of young moms, and even moms coming out of abusive relationships and um, addiction that don't have those tools, and it's a, it's a, it is a big need in our community, and safe havens, house and the heart of especially sarah and the people that are there are for these young women they're about restoring uh children these women sometimes have have lost their children uh to um what would you call it dhs and so uh safe haven is one of the few in town if if not the only one that is about restoring those relationships about training these moms up to get healthy and bringing the children back to them and restoring that so it is a big need
0: Sarah, if people were interested in getting involved, what kind of opportunities would exist for us?
1: Um, We we have a number uh, of volunteers, uh, some from this church, and um, we can always use volunteers for a variety of things. We we have lots of transportation issues because uh, as of a couple weeks ago, we had seven women, five babies from infant to a year old. And so they have multiple appointments, whether it's with ADAPT, with drug court, with doctor appointments, some are at the Woolley Center. And so it's like uh, this with uh, transportation. And so we have some volunteers who just love to do that. It gives them one-on-one time with the with the ladies. And um, so that that is a need. Um, other times, there's just times that I could use volunteers to fill in gaps uh, at the house, if you like to hold babies, Um, There are times when we have no babies and everyone's pregnant, but um, it just so happens right now that we have a lot of babies. So um, we do have a couple from this church that come out from time to time and do yard work. Um, George Crandall from here used to come out every week for years and years and and do yard work. And Handy Men for Jesus have done a variety of projects. So there's always room for uh, if you're interested, just give me a call and I will find a, a place to plug you in.
0: Thank you, Sarah. And at the end of the service, you'll have the communication cards that are in your seatbacks, and you can just write, safe haven, call me, something like that on the back, or check a box, and we'll get you in touch with safe haven uh, this week. That would be one way that you can find out more information and get involved. I'm going to give the mic to Anna. Anna, will you tell us a little bit about what you're involved with and how you got involved with that?
3: Sure. So I work with an organization uh, called Young Lives, and that is uh, a group for teen moms, in our community and uh we just kind of finished our fifth year here uh, since startup which is really exciting um and so i uh kind of grew up in youth ministry so to speak so we, this is so this broad organization called young life um is outreach usually to unchurched kids and um I was part of that as an adolescent and kind of grew up. I was on staff with them for a while. My husband was the director here for a while um, and so we have kind of been part of that culture um, when I became a mom uh, almost nine years ago, which is crazy um, <laughs> uh, you know how things change when you start a family it's yeah you know, I was working full time so I went to part time work and uh, and all these things. I was helping with Youth ministry stuff in Roseburg, but it's just things get tricky when you have babies and toddlers in tow. Um, And I, when I stopped, well, not stopped working, but went to part time, I started volunteering at Phoenix Charter School here locally. And some of you know um, about that facility. And I kept gravitating towards the teen moms because I always had my baby with me. I would just take her on campus and we would hang out with really high-risk teens, because that's what you do when you're a mom, I guess. I don't know. Um, so we would hang out with the teen moms. I got to know them, and I kept digging in my heels because this is not a convenient thing to get mixed up with. Um, it's tricky and messy and all that stuff. And a few years later, um, all I can kind of say is God just kind of started this thing, this ministry with teen moms, and I was in charge of it. <laughs> it just kind of happened. So, um like, it finally kind of came to a point where I, I sensed God saying, all right, well, this is happening. There's nothing for teen parents in our community, period, ministry-wise or otherwise. The resources were really limited for that population. So I'm going to do some stuff, get on board and be blessed, or kind of move aside and, you know, talk to somebody else about it type of thing. So... um yeah, so that kind of started this whole journey with teen moms. And since then, the last five years, probably, I don't know, 50 to 60 teen moms we've connected with in some way or another, which is really crazy to think about, too. So
0: If people here had interest in that and said, On a, uh, mm-hmm. what do I do? How could I be a part of something like that? How could I do something useful?
3: Um, so there's a lot of need. One of the really tricky things still in our community is um, how hard it is to get an education for a parenting teen. Um, there, there's really no place for them to go. So Roseburg High has a childcare. It, it, it's not a great fit for most teen parents. Um, Phoenix does no longer has their childcare facility. And so, one of the things young lives has done over the last two years since they lost their on site childcare facility for teen parents is we 've stepped in and volunteered um, we 've provided about six hours a week of child care for them, so otherwise they 're taking their kid with them to class, and that doesn 't help anybody <laughs> um, you can 't you know learn algebra when you 're chasing a toddler around the room so um, they have a room set up where we just hang out for a couple hours or whatever. I, I would bring my own kids with me. Well, just my one because the two older ones are in school now. But my youngest would play with the toddlers and the babies. We would hang out for two hours. Sometimes we'd be there to just talk to the moms and encourage them to get online, finish your work, um, go take that test, go talk to that teacher. We're here. We got it covered. I got your baby here. Um, and so that is a big need. Uh, and that school's really excited that we've been able to fill that role for the last couple years. And I mean, the need is great. We could use more. We just have had only three people be able to volunteer a few hours a week Mm -hmm. to do that. So Mm -hmm. holding down the fort and hanging out with toddlers and playing with them for a couple hours a week is a huge need um, so that girls can finish school because that is one of the biggest things they could do. Uh, to get their life on track. Um, some other things, you know, we always need childcare in other areas when we have meetings. Um, transportation, again, is a big deal. Um, we're always taking diaper donations. And if you have yeah. a little bit more time or feel the urge to get even more involved, we have what we call mentors or leaders that come alongside girls. And really just about building relationship and, and, and walking them through life a little bit. So perfect that's my wrap.
0: would you join me in prayer we're just going to uh, commission them pray for them pray that god's favor would be upon the things uh, that they do the people that they serve that the resources would be aligned that are needed for all of these different things to happen and then if you have any interest in getting involved with any of them getting more information uh, just put it on the card put it in the offering basket at the very end of the service and we'll get a hold of you this week let's pray together Father, we thank you for all of these uh, ways that you have pushed us into areas where we might not be comfortable so that people can see you. And so that we, uh, as the church, we run into the darkness or we run into some of the needier populations, run into places to care for people who have kind of been left behind by culture. And so I thank you, Lord, for The things that we have heard this morning, the good work that we see you doing, Lord, that to even understand that for decades, really meaningful work has been happening in this county, uh, supporting some of our ladies in, in these very difficult circumstances. I pray that you would put it on our hearts, Lord, for those that we might know in similar circumstances or even to participate with what's already happening here that we've heard this morning. Lord, that you would show us, Lord, where your leading is, where your path is, Lord, and even if you want to start something brand new. Lord, that we would be open to that too. Uh, Lord, would our hearts break, uh, Lord, for the people and for the things that break your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to James 2. We are going to jump in to just a few verses from there this morning, and we want to answer kind of a a straightforward question, why pay special attention to people that culture has left behind? Why pay special attention to people that might be lacking in in maybe what we might even consider basic resources? Uh, Why pay special attention to those that are oppressed in culture, marginalized in culture, uh, poor, needy, a whole bunch of types of people groups and explanations go into those that find themselves lumped into these categories. Why should we as a church, why should we as followers of Christ pay attention? And why should we maybe even disrupt our lives, take our young children into high-risk situations? Uh, Why would we do something like that? If you have your Bibles, James chapter 2, let's read the first 13 verses. This is coming from James. He says, my brothers, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law. So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James paints this picture of people coming into maybe a gathering like this. And someone comes in dressed really well. Maybe they pull up in a really nice car and they valet it at the front door. And everyone can see that they're coming in and that they have great means. And they walk them up and they sit them in the best seats. The front row, the best seats at church. Maybe there's meal service, coffee refills, there are recliners, they lay back. If you get bored, there's a little TV screen, you can watch something else. They take the wealthy and they bring them into these seats of honor. Then they see a person of little to no means come in. Maybe the car barely gets in the parking lot, and then no one parks near it, and they take them up to the nosebleeds. No elevator to it to the nosebleeds, no recliners, no meal service. Uh, they take them and say, sit up there. We don't want to see you. We don't want to hear from you. Sit up there. If anyone sat in the nosebleeds, you can't see up there. You, you, you can't participate in anything. Why even be at the game if you're up in the nosebleeds? James says that's evil. James says it's evil and it undermines your purpose. It's evil and it undermines the plan and mission of God. It's evil and it undermines the gospel. And so the first thing that we see is showing honor to all people shows that God is, God's love is in us. The first point today, showing honor to all people shows that God's love is in us. And the opposite is true, right? The opposite is true. If it's not in our hearts, if it's not our inclination, and if it's not the reaction that overflows out of us to want to respond lovingly towards people when we discover their needs and their hurts and their pain and the suffering in our life, then it causes us to ask a very serious question. Is God's love in me at all? James says, you have dishonored the poor. You have ignored Jesus' example. In verse 5, he says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich. These are the people that God has chosen to be rich in faith. They have a special place in God's heart. The poor, the oppressed, the marginalized in our culture have a special place in God's heart. I mentioned a few weeks ago that my parents collect these weird dishes from the Midwest that are hand-painted, and I think I told you it's not their fault. My Dad's dad did it too, and so he instilled this thing in them, and it has some nostalgia to it, and it's kind of a fun hobby, and the dishes that they have, as ugly as I think they are, they remind my parents of my dad's parents. So those dishes have an extra special place in their heart, far greater than the actual value of the dishes. James is saying that the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized have a special place in God's heart he says you Christians are acting like you're at one of those Greek weddings and you're just taking the dishes and throwing them on the ground breaking them one after another if I went home and and did that with their dishes their anger their frustration would far exceed just the annoyance that they have to clean up the floor right because these are special in their eyes special in their heart In Luke 15, we see that the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, those on the fringes of society, those disliked by religious culture, uh, those hated even just by the Jews at large, seem to always be drawn to Jesus. And he seems to be drawn to them, right? Because the religious leaders are constantly belittling him attacking him for spending time with these people in luke 15 verses 1 and 2 it says this now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him that being jesus and the pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with him and they're they're condemning what he does and saying doesn't he know who he's with and why would anyone of any sort of standing why would anyone who has any concern whatsoever with piety be with these people At this point, that Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, he says, "If a man had a hundred sheep and one got lost, wouldn't you go chase it? Wouldn't you go looking for it? Don't you love it enough that you'd go after it?" You see, the religious leaders only can see the externals. Religious leaders only see what's on the outside. The religious leaders are more concerned with that person's sin, that person's past, that person's reputation, that person's need, that person's uncleanliness. They can't see Jesus' power to make them clean. They're fixated on the externals, fixated on their the evidences of their uncleanness, unable to see that it's Jesus' intent, that it's Jesus' power that can make them clean. Isn't it interesting that they felt comfortable by him even though they were hated in culture? Isn't it interesting that as a tax collector... Someone hated by all of his or her own people felt like Jesus was a safe place, felt like Jesus was someone who would understand, felt like Jesus was someone who would give that person the time of day even to sit down for a meal with a tax collector. Doesn't it seem kind of flipped today that we have many groups in society, many pockets uh, of culture that seem to be uh, loved by culture and hated by the church? We see that Jesus was a safe place for those people. Doesn't mean that he didn't speak truth, didn't mean that he didn't call them out of their lifestyle, didn't mean that he didn't call them to righteousness to follow him, but he was a safe place for those people. Throughout the text, we see that they came to him, we see that he chose to go to them. So James says, first, when you show partiality against the poor, when you show partiality against the needy, against any oppressed or marginalized people, you ignore the life of Jesus. You ignore the life of Jesus. We can't call ourselves followers of Christ if we don't do the things that Jesus did, if we don't love the things that Jesus loved, if we don't hate the things that Jesus hated. He says you're ignoring the life of Jesus. Uh, the second thing that he says is you're worshiping your oppressors rather than God. In verses 6 and 7, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. He says, aren't the rich ones who oppress you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who blaspheme your honorable name by which you have been called? And so in the first century, in a a Middle Eastern agricultural area, you'd have wealthy landowners and then you'd have a whole bunch of laborers. And James says, aren't those the ones that don't pay you what you're owed? Aren't those the ones who take advantage of your limited means? Aren't those the ones that drag you in the court and use their resources and then use their power to exert even more power over you and keep you down? Why are you showing favoritism to them? Why are you aligning yourself with them rather than the Lord? Why do you want their approval rather than God's? Why are you trying to get the crumbs that fall off of their table rather than sit at the table with your father? Some of you may recall uh, the story of Corey Tenboom and, and some of the things that I shared about her life uh, as someone who helped get Jews out of her homeland, uh, away from the Nazis and and her ministry uh, was undermined by her own people, right? Her ministry was undermined by one of her fellow countrymen who had sided with the Nazis to save his own skin, and then he reported what she was doing, right? Isn't that kind of the shadiest kind of shady? (laughs) To sell out your own people? Take advantage of your own people for personal gain. James says, why are you aligning yourself with these people? If your heart is set on Christ, why are you aligning yourself with these wicked people? Why are you flattering them? What is it that they offer that is so compelling to you that that doesn't come from the Father? If you find yourself looking for approval from those around you, if you find yourself looking for approval from even those that have succeeded, maybe by wicked means. If you find yourself uh, dissatisfied with the approval of your father, maybe you're more like the people that James was talking about than we'd like to admit. The third thing he says is showing partiality against the needy is undignified. It's degraded against the undignified, against the degraded in culture. He says it defies the gospel, it defies your purpose, it defies your mission. And we see that showing honor to all people shows a commitment to the Lord's mission. Showing honor to all people shows a commitment to the Lord's mission. Verse 8, he says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. In other words, something is broken. If you think you're keeping most of the law and you're showing partiality against uh, the poor and the oppressed, marginalized, or are showing favoritism towards those who think like you, talk like you, vote like you, act like you, worship like you, have fun on the weekends like you. He says something is wrong. Nicole got me a cordless drill for Father's Day and uh, I opened it up two weeks ago to to finally use it and put the little charger in the wall and, and put the pieces together and it charged and then the light was green and so that tells me that I can take it off and I can and I can start to use it and so as I started to use it I noticed that it was sparking out the back end and after a little bit of research I realized that there are some that where that's kind of common but I didn't think that that was the kind that I had uh, Home Depot agreed, and so, so they took it back. Uh, but those sparks were a warning sign to me that something was wrong. And if I'd ignored those, that warning and taken that drill out into the pasture area where I was going to use it, where there's a whole bunch of dry grass everywhere, I would have been in big trouble. And so when we find that our reaction to the poor, to the oppressed, to the marginalized... Those that carry the scars of their neediness, to those who can't seem to escape their neediness, rise above their neediness. Neediness. When we find that our reaction to them is to dismiss and to belittle and to justify, well, they deserve it. So I don't really need to get involved. We see that something is sparking internally. Something is wrong, and it's something that we want to pay attention to. I don't know. Uh, what the context exactly looked like when Jesus was eating with all of those individuals, but imagine maybe that some were dressed immodestly, and the religious leaders Jesus, how can you be around these people? look at the way they 're dressed Look at this. imagine maybe some of them come in and, and they 're just their whole body, everything they 're wearing just smells like alcohol Jesus, how, how, how can you be around these people? Transgenderism is something that is controversial in all sorts of circles right now. Um, one of the things that's really fascinating and heartbreaking about all things transgenderism is the percentage of pain and suffering, the, the, the experiences that these individuals have. For example, ABC did a study, and they interviewed about 900 or so uh, kids who identified as having this situation being transgender, and they found that 50% of those kids had tried to take their life. And for the general population, the number is like 2.5%. They found that 80% of those kids had tried in some way to harm themselves compared to the general population for the same age, where the number is like 10%. They found that 75% of those kids suffered from depression when like 8% of their peers do. And so I bring up those statistics because I think uh, that might be something that pops up on your newsfeed. And I might say in that particular case, uh, would you see that news and would you be dismissive of of the pain and suffering of those kids? Would you uh, belittle the weight that they feel, the the depression, the propensity for suicide and for self-harm? Would you justify it? Uh, Would you push it off because it's kind of hard to understand and kind of hard to get our minds around or would our, our heart break and say i don't even understand it i don't understand how they got here but my gosh that seems like the kind of pain and suffering that jesus would in some way run to be present for and be a part of and so part of these six weeks is just coming to these texts and saying Uh, allowing them to push on our comfort zones and even leaving some questions unanswered, right? Because how we respond to these different things where the Lord leads us is is kind of unique. In some cases, it's going to be show mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Then you're going to get trampled on and it's going to be mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy. In other cases, uh, some sort of tougher love is is going to be needed and you're going to show mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon mercy, get trampled on, and, and maybe you need to speak some very truth telling hard to hear words and so this it's something that we go to the lord with and say lord break my heart for those who are broken and we go to him and say show me how to respond because it's it, as the ladies shared it's complicated you can't just take someone out to lunch and then everything is better and we go to those around us for wisdom right because we've all walked that line Do we help? Am I enabling? Is that a good thing to do? Is it a bad thing to do? I don't even know if it's a good thing to do or a bad thing to do, but my conscience tells me to do this, so I'll do it. We go to those around us for wisdom about how to engage in these ways. But this is a good place for us to be, to observe the life and the pattern of Jesus and to see, as we shared last week, where he prays over Jerusalem because right before his death, because he cares more about their lostness than he does about the fact that he's headed to the cross in part because of them, right? He cares more about their lostness where they will spend eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. More about them being far from God. He cares more about that than the fact that because them they're far from God, he is going to be heading to the cross. Showing honor to all people shows a commitment to God's mission. It shows a commitment to our purpose In 1 Peter 2, 9, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So we kind of have to be in the darkness to proclaim the light. We kind of have to be around really messy situations. We have to be willing to run into those in order to proclaim the light. Mark 2 is another situation where Jesus is being criticized for the people that he's hanging out with, criticized for the people he's spending time with. And by the way, if you follow Jesus' example, you'll probably get criticized, maybe by family who think it's unsafe, maybe even by so-called Christians who think it's unwise or that you should just let those people be. You'll probably get criticized. Jesus was, so you'd be in good company. He responds to those religious leaders. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, right? Those who are sick need a physician. He said, I I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Some of us think that because of our past, um, we're almost unusable. It's like... uh, we're scarred beyond recognition and we're no longer useful for God's purposes. Some of us see the sin and the dysfunction in other people's lives and say that's hopeless, right? It'll, it'll never amount to anything. Yeah. Many of you are familiar with World Vision and Samaritan's Purse, two organizations doing a whole lot of good in the world. Uh, world Vision has roughly like a billion dollars in assets that go to care ministries uh, around the globe. They're just huge. And the amount of good they do is extraordinary. Samaritan's Purse, similarly, massive uh, half a billion dollars going towards care around the globe through samaritan's purse they gave like 11 million kids gifts as part of the christmas shoebox ministry of those 11 million 2 million kids responded to follow jesus as part of the 12-week discipleship class that's offered after they get those gifts incredible things One of the things that's fascinating to me about both of those organizations is they were started by the same person. They were started by a man who had incredible compassion, um, but also a man who had a lot of brokenness, a tremendous amount of dysfunction. His family was an absolute mess. He more or less abandoned his kids and his wife. There's one story where his daughter calls him from the States. He's overseas somewhere begging him just to come home just wanting to see her father. And his message to her was, you know, sorry, dear, I've got work to do. And it wasn't long after that where she took her own life. And so I don't share about the good things those ministries do to uh, belittle or to dismiss the dysfunction in his life or to belittle or dismiss the pain that he caused or to say, hey, well, it seems like a net gain maybe, so it, it can't be that bad. Uh, I share that to say uh, history is littered with beautiful music that God has made from broken instruments, right? History is littered with beautiful music that God has made from broken instruments. And so as you you look to those who maybe the Lord is directing you towards, and you think, oh, no, (laughs) it's not fun, don't enjoy it, don't like it, don't understand them, think they're ridiculous, think this is a joke, been down that road before, but you consider that history is littered with beautiful music that God has made from broken instruments. As you think about your own part in this, and you, you hear what the ladies said this week, you hear what um, Rick shared last week about Winchester, and you think, yeah, those people are different than me. They, they've lived this, this sort of life. or they're, they're good at it. They were born with compassion. They were born with generosity. They were born with an ability to interact with with these types of people. Um, Would you consider that in spite of the things that you think you don't possess? Gifting, skill, even interest, or compassion, or love. History is just littered with beautiful music that the Lord has made from broken instruments. Would you just ask, how is the Lord directing me to get involved today? I don't have to plan five years or ten years out. The guy uh, who started both those organizations, Robert Pierce, uh, left for the East, uh, with barely enough money to even get there. You know, he didn't have food money for when he got there. He didn't have five years of expenses sitting in a in a bank account and health insurance and a retirement account, all these. He just went. And so uh, there's times when that's unwise and there's times when uh, that's what God calls us to do. But would you just be open to the people that God is going to put in your path this week? To maybe people that you might not have looked at otherwise. To those that you may have dismissed For your own issues or for their issues. And consider that if we're supposed to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness. That we're probably going to have to go in to the darkness. Let's pray. Thank you for the examples, Lord, we've heard this morning. Uh, Lord, even more, I thank you that you are aligning relationships and circumstances in our life often Lord to our displeasure and inviting us to engage in a way that we never imagined possibly with people that if it was all the same we'd prefer not to Lord but that in that Lord if we take a step towards you that you're going to meet us there if we take a step towards you even though um, we don't believe we're even qualified to do that we're going to find Lord that you give us what we need Lord, would you break our hearts for the things that break yours? Would you cause us to love those Jesus loved? Lord, may we not be the religious leaders who just see the externals and make a judgment about unclean. May instead, Lord, we be people filled with conviction and passion and excitement because we know about your power to make us clean. Thank you, Lord, that you have done that in our hearts. Help us not forget, Lord, where we've come from. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.